Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ball Caps and Bagpipes. First episode of season two. I am the Glasgow Comets, John McKellar. And I'm Jason Durr, a Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer. Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer and former president of the league, Jason. Today, uh, let's talk Mookie Betts. Let's talk David Price. Let's talk the Red Sox and Dodgers. Yeah, to say, like, uh, it, I have to say, uh, it's pretty unprecedented to see someone like Mookie Betts traded in their prime to save a few dollars, especially with a club like the Red Sox with deep pockets. Yeah. Uh, I guess it'd be like trading Aaron Judge because the Yankees could no longer afford Yeah, him. it's completely insane. Um, like, they are still one of the best. They still have Chris Sale. They have one of the most potent lineups, top to bottom in Major League Baseball. Um, what 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 could be the possible reason? So this would have been the third year into a luxury tax, and I think they would have paid... I think it's twice as much as they went over. And uh, so, you know, the, it's, I think it's set at like 200 or 210. I don't know the exact number, but uh, it's a third year in a row they've been over. So the luxury tax would have been a huge penalty for them. But even saying that, it wouldn't have been that much for the deep pockets of the Red Sox. Like it's, uh, it's sad to see that baseball is being controlled by the economics now instead of just uh, having some kind of crazy owner who just wants to see a World Series win. Um, but, you know, that, that's the way it works these days. Yeah, it was supposed to make things competitive, so you wouldn't have teams like the Yankees overspending, uh, and then again versus teams like Tampa Bay. You know, so you, you're talking about the ceiling, and the floor there, and in theory, that would keep people from not doing that, and it would allow teams like Miami, Tampa Bay, to be still competitive and and retain uh, their their own players. But uh, it's clearly not the case. Do you, how successful do you think it's been over the last uh, twenty twenty three years? You know, uh, big teams are always going to spend big. Um, I think this is the first time you've seen the, the top three teams, Boston, New York, and, and L.A., actually take it seriously as a as a spending limit. Um, and I can understand from their perspective, you know, they've got shareholders now. It's not just one guy that owns a team. It's a conglomerate of various people. And they bought the team for, you know, obviously they see their team win, but, you know, I think the bottom part, part of it is they want to see a profit. So, um, you know, if they can save $20 million, it looks good in the bank balance. Yep, I believe it was twenty-seven and a half million was Mookie Betts' salary that he achieved in arbitration. Am I right? Can that? Yeah, and, and you know it's just sad because like you win a World Series, that twenty-seven is pocket change. That's a a couple more beers and concession stands in the playoffs. You know, it's really not that much. This is this is correct. And not only did Mookie Betts get moved, but David Price as well, who was on a pretty. I think he's 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 still owed ninety-six million dollars. But I think it was offset. I think the the Red Sox did send a, a quite a bit of money to go head over um, to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers didn't even give that much mm-hmm. up. None of their top prospects were even touched. So I don't even really know what the Red Sox got from this. It's a pretty head scratching. Yeah, move. I know that there is a bit of a controversy about one of the players that they've ended up with. Uh, there's, I think he's had some some kind of brush in with the law in recent times, and a lot of uh, a lot of fans of. Kind of had a bit of a backlash against that. I believe he's been given is it Brock Holt's number, which has caused it to be even more exasperated. Um, now, this trade was originally a three-team deal. Um, it took a while to go through. At one point, it collapsed and then was back on again. So Minnesota uh, were identified as the third team. To your kind of understanding, how did this process end up coming about? What what happened that caused this to collapse in the first place? And how have the Red Sox and Dodgers managed to get over the line? Well, it was the the Twins uh, were the third part, and it was their prospect as like a twenty year old fi- fireballer, 
Um, he's had arm problems before, and so they must have had the medical and looked at it and said, ah, there's some more red flags here. We're not sure quite so much about him. But then he ended up going to trade anyways. So uh, I think they just added another player to it. Um, you know, the Twins going all in. You know, they get uh, Kenta Maeda out of it. Um, and, I, yeah, I think the Twins, you know, they have a pretty potent lineup now. And now they have, you know, another name that we can throw out there that will help them. Could it be said on any level that the Twins are the winner out of this deal? Based on the fact that Mookie Betts will be hitting free agency at the end of the year, David Price appears to be on a decline. Uh, do you, would you say? Would you agree with that? That maybe the Minnesota Twins have kind of low-key won this this whole thing. You know, I think they they snuck in there, but then you're talking about the second best player in baseball outside of Mike Trout. So you, the Dodgers going to you know have an insane lineup. This is true. I think the Dodgers um, are certainly the runaway favourites for the National League Championship quite possibly favourites of the World Series. Uh, you've got Kershaw, you've got Walker Bueller, you've got Cody Bellinger on that team, and, and, and other insane names. So, yeah, it's uh, it's theirs to lose, I think, uh, in the, I think at least in the National was, League side. I think it was disappointing that the Padres were in there for quite a bit, mm-hmm. and they could have put some... Pro- I, don't, I don't know why they pulled out, but, you know, they, they signed Machado, and uh, they've got Fr- Fernando Tentis Jr., I think... Uh, They've traded away some guys. I don't. I don't understand what the GM's thinking there, um, and why they couldn't have put a package together to get Mookie to go to San Diego and see how it worked for a year. I mean, gosh, a year of Mookie bets for a couple of prospects they had in the system probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. And at least they would have made, you know, look like they were going all in instead of kind of going, well, we're, we're happy with what you have, and maybe some growth would help, but. I mean, how do you let someone like that go to your division right now? Do you think that maybe Mookie and perhaps his agent, though, have had a say in this? Um, obviously, Mookie, former MVP, he's in a walk year. He's looking at free agency at the end of 2020. Do you think that maybe he uh, wants to have, he wants to put up big numbers in a big market like LA to drive his price up? And that might have been why the Padres could have uh, ended up not being able to, to pull the trigger? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's that at all. I think um, it's still Mookie Betts. I still think he gets forty million a year. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mike contra- Mike Trout's contract is probably going to be the floor for Mookie Betts because he gave him all- the Angels a hometown discount. So uh, I don't think it matters. I think even if he has a rubbish year, I think he still gets forty million a year next year, and people bounce on it, bet on to bounce out, and there'll be some opt out after like year three, and uh, uh, you know, but it will be a you know, eight year, probably four hundred million contracts. So. Yeah, that MP, that MVP on his resume, I think, uh, is going to speak volumes in any contract negotiations. There's been obviously there's been a lot of talk about uh, what being an MVP, a former MVP, means for uh, a player that's entering negotiations recently. Uh, but we'll touch on that another time. Okay, so let's uh, move on then to Scottish baseball. Um, Today, uh, there was a great announcement by the president of the league, Paul Convoy. The schedule announcement always one of the most anticipated points of the year. Um, that came with some sad news, though. Uh, unfortunately, the Edinburgh Giants uh, will, will not be fielding a team this year, so it will only be the seven teams this season, including the Tayport Breakers. Um, sad to see the Edinburgh Giants go. Yeah, it's always see a team folding sad. It's sad. I mean, you don't want to see that. You want to see growth every year. Um, it, but I can totally understand where you're coming from because you, you start in April and you've got 15 guys that are keen and then by end of May, you've gotten eight guys that are keen and you're, you're begging guys to show. And then come July, you've got five people and a, a bucket of balls and you're, you're begging people to come play. So it, 
you know, it happens. So, you know, by going from three to two, it probably helps Edinburgh's numbers to be a little bit stronger. Uh, and then hopefully they bounce back the following year and uh, you get that third team back up and running again. Now, you mentioned there how the unintended consequence of the Giants leaving the league for the time being, uh, that, that strengthens the numbers of both the Devils and Cannons. Do you see those two teams becoming more potent um, from, a, from a quality standpoint, just based off of, you know, by default, ending up with some of the best uh, Giants players, so their kind of mainstays will end up probably playing for either one of those. Now, if I understand correctly, there was a, quite a few Giants who left towards the middle of the season or not, so um, you're going to miss your Adam Murphy out of there, uh, his leadership. So, you know, the guys that were really solid, they'll, they'll fill in some gaps here and there, um, and hopefully just it doesn't impact the rookies, because that's what it's really about, is growing growing the sport and getting those young guys into the game uh, and making sure they're getting plenty of playing time. That's a great point, man. It's a great point, and one that I hadn't really thought of. Will that impact Edinburgh for, for the next three, five years if there are rookies who are trying to get into games and learn the sport, and they're not able to do that because there's kind of there's too many places that are, are full up with these established guys who have come over from the Giants. Obviously, obviously the Devils and the Cannons both have high quality lineups uh, anyway, um, so they've got their kind of established guys that they are looking to, you know, they're looking to get playing time as well. So I, I tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a manager of either Edinburgh team this year. I think it's going to be pretty stressful. You know, I, I think for a few guys in the Giants, or not the Giants, the Devils, um, that means it's going to be a little more flexible, knowing there's, you know, enough guys there that they can kind of pop in and out uh, and be casual about it. I think that for a couple of the older guys with kids, I think that's probably ideal for them. Um, and then for the young guys, you know, it, it's always good to show up week in and out. I mean, you'll, you'll know. I mean, you played your first season more for the Cannons than you did for your <laughs> That's own. true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just getting that opportunity to play every day, and I think that will be that that will hurt in the in the short term, but hopefully in the long term that it builds, you know, confidence in the guys to know that the, when they can crack that lineup, they've they've made it, and hopefully they, you know they'll they'll build a build on that and shrink the strength, and then you know you bounce back in the season and find another, you know, ten guys who are keen on playing, and then you you, know, you start up again with the you know next season, and then you've got the Giants back. Yep, hope to see the Giants back uh, as soon as possible. Hopefully next season. Um, which will obviously be the earliest that they'll be able to come back at this point. Um, it's unfortunate to lose them because they're always fun to play against. Um, guys like, I mean, especially Kyle Huffey, I find him to be an entertaining guy to be around. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sad to see them go. Um, but uh, seven teams will be playing this year. Both Glasgow teams are coming back. The Edinburgh Cannons and Devils, as we've said, both Aberdeen teams will be looking to build on their excellent uh, progress that they've been making. And obviously the new team, they put the Tayport Breakers. Um, do you think it's possible any of the Edinburgh Giants guys might uh, defect to Tayport? Uh, I don't think there's anybody in the area that is playing up there. I, but then I don't know. So um, I, I think uh, Tayport's just a little bit too far away that there's maybe one guy you can think of top of my head that might join the club if he doesn't know about it already. But I think they'll all stay in that right. No worries, man. Um, did you get a chance to see the schedule yet? I did. I did. I did look at it, and I, I did notice one glaring thing. And what would that be? And and that would be that they're playing during uh, the London series. I so said they had quite a bit of stuff on, 
but they didn't take the weekend off for the London series. Oh yeah, I did notice that actually. Uh, I found that kind of weird. Um, do you think that that's been just an oversight, or have you had any contact from Paul to kind of explain that at all? I, you know, I haven't talked to Paul yet, but I do know there was what four different tournaments going on this. Yeah, season. there's a lot of. I think the the, the ladies are going to be going to Sheffield apparently for a tournament and stuff. Um, so it's not just uh, it's not just us blokes that are travelling this year. Uh, so there's a lot of different pieces to move around. It could just be that it's going to be reviewed. Um, after kind of dates are finalised for certain things, and then we'll move some things around. But yeah, I did find that kind of odd that we're scheduled for games on the on the London series weekend. I don't think that the league would. I, I don't. I don't see that being something the league would want to do. Um, to be honest. No, I, I think it might have been just just an oversight because uh, I think um, guys will want definitely want to watch the game. If it, you know, they may not be going to the game, but you're definitely going to watch the game. So um, you know, you'll be able to watch the Saturday game no yeah. problem. And then the Sunday, I think, is the early game. I think it's that one o'clock game, yeah. isn't it? Uh, Two o'clock game. So you know, you, uh, I think it's just an oversight. I think they have a lot of stuff going on, and, you, and I understand. I mean, I did league schedule for ten plus years, and I, <laughs> I know how hard it is to get everything to work out, but not screwed up too badly. So. Yep, uh, let's take a quick look at the schedule itself. And let's take a quick look at the opening day uh, fixtures. So we've got the 29th of March this year as the opening day. Curiously, both the Oilers and Express have an off day that day. Um, I'm wondering why that is. I mean, if both of them are off, then surely it would make sense to have the two of them open the season against each other. But it could well be that their field is in use for something else. Uh, on that date, and it's just uh, one of those necessities of life. Now, I, I know when I did the schedule, probably the last year I did it, um, there was snow in Aberdeen. Ah, uh, okay, so <laughs> it might just be a precaution that, with regards to the weather. Yeah, that might exactly might be what it be, because, you know, you're talking the first week of April, uh, there's a good chance there there might be snow. But, hey, I mean, there's been snow in Edinburgh all week long, um, so you never know. <laughs> uh, my guys, the Glasgow Comets, uh, are travelling to Edinburgh to face your old team, the Edinburgh Cannons, on opening day. Um, we've had uh, some, some pretty entertaining games early in seasons against the Cannons in p- previous years, so that's one to look forward to for sure. So, yeah, it should be a good season. I'm looking forward to actually be able to catch a few games this year and pop down and talk to the guys and uh, and, and just see the growth uh, that's happened and, and just the amount of new players that I don't even know right now um, that are playing. Do you think that you'll make it along to the season opener against the Comets? Uh, you know, I, I might have that weekend open. Uh, it's school break. Uh, so I, I guess I gotta figure out when school break is because the they're going on holiday and I'm having a holiday to myself. Nice one. <laughs> we may need to uh, hook up and get a get a drink together. Absolutely, I'll, I'll take the road the Dugout Classic Road Show over to Glasgow and we can go hang out. <laughs> uh, other opening day games, uh, Devils uh, are traveling to Glasgow to play the Champion Galaxy. That should be a good game. Um, and the Tayport Breakers have opening day off. Uh, they open their season against us, actually, the Comets. Oh, wow. Is it a home game or is it it's away game? at Glasgow. It's our home opener on the 5th of April. All right. Oh, fantastic. That, that's going to be a big one for them. Yeah, um, it should be interesting to see them uh, in person. And, 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 you know, it's going to be an interesting season. Obviously, last year we had the Aberdeen Express join the league. Um 
they didn't have any kind of rookie nerves whatsoever. They stormed through the year and ended up finishing, I think, second in the league. Um, very talented bunch of men and women in that in that squad. Hopefully, Tayport will exhibit similar um, and continue to grow the the quality of the league. Absolutely. So I I, I know Jason reached out to me. Um... And uh, we're going to get him on the podcast here real soon. And he can tell us what uh, what he thinks about his team and, and how the, the recruiting process has been to uh, get enough guys to put a team together up there. That's brilliant. Hopefully we'll get him on very soon. And we, it's going to be great to chat with him. Um, I only had limited interactions with Jason when he back, right when he was a Galaxy player, but he always seemed like a class act. Yeah, I, I, I picked up that he was an American guy uh, playing first base the first time. <laughs> and I was like, where are you from? <laughs> and, yeah, he does have a very thick Mississippian accent. Uh, uh, yeah, it was good chat at first base. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm wishing him all the best for this year. Awesome, man. Now, let's uh, let's head on. Let's, let's move on to our interview for this week. Um, it's actually part one of a two-parter. We have Danny Quinn. Finally, a Glasgow Comet is coming on the show. Um, my uh, outfield partner, Danny Quinn, will be joining us. And uh, it was a two-part interview that we recorded a few days ago. Um, it was initially going to be just one part, but it ended up just... He told some fantastic stories, and we ended up chatting for almost an hour. Um, so it's a split in half. Great. Yeah, it was It was really nice chatting to him. It was, it was a good conversation, and an hour flew by. Yeah, he's an absolute gentleman, and he's uh, a fantastic player. And... Always, always willing to help other players around them as well with uh, tips and hints. Uh, he played extensively as a youth, um, despite the fact that last year was his rookie season uh, in the league. Um, he is quite an experienced player, and he always played. Um, he always gave a hundred percent effort every game. Let's bring him on. Yep, here's part one. Hey, Danny, nice to meet you. Glad to have you on the show. Thanks for that, Jason. Nice to meet you too, man. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. I've been listening in and it's it's just been really good to get this kind of coverage on the sport in Scotland. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you very much for joining us, brother. Um, it's good to finally have a comment on the show. Yeah, yeah, this is your first one, isn't it? <laughs> you are indeed, so... Um... So and a Yankee he, fan, John, and a, and a Yankee. Yankee fan, <laughs> and a Yankee fan as well. I can see that you guys hung out a lot during the season. I got a feeling about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most of the season was uh, spent by Danny covering up my mess in left field, <laughs> and a few of the collisions. Man, we had a, we had a couple of collisions on the field, which was pretty we did. So. <laughs> we, did. we did. We'll cover that in, uh, in depth later. Um, now, why don't you start by talking us through how you became involved with baseball originally? Because I know that you were a player as a youngster, Danny, um, and you took a lengthy period out of the game uh, before you came back last year and casually won uh, Rookie of the Year at centre field. <laughs> you played as a youngster. How, first off, did you become interested in the sport of baseball? I mean, I was um, I always grew up interested in, in sports. Um, you know, I, I think for me growing up, I, I really had to struggle to find my sport because I didn't take to football the way other people did um you know I just didn't have the appetite for it that many people at my age when I was in primary school you know that was a sort of five to twelve year old I loved running um but couldn't get into that so when I got into high school I just started you know the the op- sort of exploded up and I I kind of explored what kind of sports I, I may like you know so I done rug- rugby and I done boxing I done 
um, 100 meter sprint. I done basketball, but then the sport, uh, the growth spot didn't really come on the way I hoped it would at that age. So I kind of had to give that up. And then um, just when I was about 14 years old, um, my cousin said to me that, you know, we went to the same school and he said he went to an after school class for baseball. And I, it just never occurred to me before to ever even explore that as an option. And I was like, baseball? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, just immediately, I was, I, I just thought that sounded really cool. You know, like the, what I knew of the sport was I was batting involved and I was throwing involved. And I was like, well, I'd really keen to explore that. But the person that was in, Kenny Parent, had only done a one-off session in the school, but he'd left some flyers about. Um, so I was maybe about 14 years old and I phoned him up and found out that he was running clubs in nearby Rutherglen on a Monday night. Um, so I went out to to play in the club and I was just obsessed with it immediately. Just the little things that probably most people take for granted now, like the smell of a fresh glove or the feel of the ball in the hands. And, you know, I just became obsessed with it. And it got to a point where... Um, when I was that age, you know, I went to training on a weekly basis. And, um, but for me, I was, I was playing every night, you know, I was either, I was rounding up people in my, in my neighborhood to come and give it a go. And there was maybe about 10 or 15 of us at the time that were just going out, out to the park and, and playing. Um, or if I couldn't do that, I was practicing pitching out the back, uh, out the back of my parents' garden. So yeah, I just became hooked on it immediately and I played maybe f- three, four years um, before I gave it up again. So, um, now, yeah, as a, that's, that's about it, now, really. as a youngster, um, what, uh, you, you, pitched, you pitch a little as well as playing uh, mostly outfield. Um, as a youngster, uh, yeah. what was your, your favourite thing to do? Did, would you prefer, do you prefer pitching or do you prefer fielding? Well, um, I, I always preferred... Actually, all, all my... Um, Every game I played as a youngster, I was pitcher. I played third base for a game or two. This this was the first season that I played outfield. Um, so I kind of had to learn to track fly balls in that because it wasn't something I was comfortable in doing. Um, but for all those three years, I originally wanted to play catcher, um, but I was told that I had a, a good arm, so I was going to play pitcher. And then, um, you know, in, in defiance to that, I kind of learned to throw the knuckleballs. <laughs> I just, to, much to my co- coach's dismay, I just persisted in throwing knuckleballs for 90% of my pitches because I got put on there on the premise of my arm being good, but I just slowed it right down by about 20 miles an hour. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I grew to love pitching. I do, I do love pitching. Um, but, I, I mean, I've just really enjoyed playing centre field this year. It's been incredible I think it may be uh, I may like it even more than pitching to be honest Now you mentioned that you picked up last year after a lengthy time out was it 13, 14 years you were out of the game? 14 years yeah So what led to you um, drifting away from the sport for that long? So I played uh, in the South Lanarkshire League which was a, a sort of pony league and um by the time I reached 16, 17, I could no longer play in that league. So I went and I got a BS UK coaching um, certificate to do coaching for South Lanarkshire Council. 
But then I found out that I wasn't really interested in coaching at all. I just wanted to play. Um, so it came around the time of, you know, that I wasn't really sure I wanted to go over to the Glasgow team because we'd been playing against the Glasgow team. And as a young kid, I suppose, at that age, I kind of thought stupidly, naively, that I wouldn't really be welcome there. Um and then, um, you know, just life got in the way. I was doing lots of different things. I was going to college. I had kids a few years later. And um, it just sort of drifted out my mind. And I never really thought about the sport at all um, over the next few years. It's only been over the past five years or so that I've really been interested in getting back. But I've just not been able to commit to it until till last year. Yeah, I can totally understand where you're coming from with kids. Like I said, I, I just have my kids, and that was kind of like end of my career. I'm kind of hoping maybe uh, there might be a comeback, but uh, uh, that takes me off. I guess with baseball, it's 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 different from like football or rugby or something else because you're not asking for two hours out the house. You're asking for a full day, you know, from the from the wife to to go out there and sit for five, six hours or even more if you're travelling to Aberdeen. So it's a big commitment with, with young children. Yeah, that was my biggest complaint to the wife. And not only that, I was sore for like three days. And was, so it's like, you can't even play with the kids because like everything hurts, everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big commitment. And that's always the toughest part about playing baseball here. Uh, because, you know, you, uh, like yourself, we find guys would, you know, play when they're under teens. Yeah, and then maybe you know at sixteen or eighteen they go to uni or start working, and they just forget about the game and, and work for a couple of years, and then you know you find yourself more settled, a bit of income, and then you're kind of going, you know, what? I really miss that. On Rowdy with everyone, just the chat throwing the ball around. Even if you're a Yankee fan, you can still you know chalk to Red Sox fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was it was it was weird to. To have like it, it dominated my sort of childhood so heavily. Uh, the sport, like we would play every single day, um, and it, it it just you know I really missed it when I gave it up, and then um, you just sort of drift away from it, I guess, um, like like other things. And it's but but once you're back, like when I when I got a chance to come back last year, I've just my appetite is insatiable for the sport just now. I'm sitting here with with a baseball game on <laughs> on pause just now to do this podcast. So, which game are you watching? The game are you playing? Because I know John. Like- oh, I'm playing. I'm playing it on the PlayStation. I'm playing. I've I've actually just I'm a, I've got a few careers on it. I'm doing the the road to the show. Um, and I've just signed for the Cleveland Indians. So I've just turned down a bigger contract from the Boston Red Sox to sign a smaller contract with Good the man. Indians. Stay true to the, <laughs> the Yankee roots. I was drafted by the Yankees and wrote to the show. It's a great game, man. Like yeah. I've, I remember the old school games and they weren't as good, but this is, this is it's only show 18 I've got, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very immersive. Um, now, before we before we go down an entirely different rabbit hole on uh, on uh, video games, um, do you have any do you have any um, particularly happy memories or highlights from that original period that you were playing? Yeah, there's there's a few. So we went over to play in Ireland, and it was a tournament style thing in two thousand and um, two thousand and five. Now, there's something really interesting about that, and um, that. It was a year I was setting my my fifth year exams, um, and I was doing really well in English. And 
uh, the English exam coincided with the, the baseball tournament and I made the decision and I told my teacher for my higher English that I wasn't going to do the exam because I wanted to go to Ireland and play baseball. Um, and she was just incensed with me throwing that away. Um, and what ended up transpiring in that year was I became the first person in the country to sit the English exam. And I sat it at seven o'clock in the morning and I sat it in my head teacher's office with just an invigilator. Is that, is that what they're called? An invigilator and myself um, and a clock. And I'd done the English exam and then I had to be transported by somebody from the SQA over to Edinburgh Airport where my coach had to sign that I wouldn't speak to anyone about the exam. It was the most bizarre thing ever, but we went over to Ireland and we done the tournament and I think I pitched most of the games there and um, yeah, that was just an incredible experience but the the setup that it was in 2005-2006 was you were maybe playing two or three competitive games a year, you weren't getting a lot of games whatsoever um, so training dominated most of my memories, you know, it's much better now, there's a there's a structure, there's regular games, you know, when you're playing, you know who you're playing. It's it's just good to get that that routine that wasn't there when I was playing originally. So, shout out to any of the former players that you used to play with back in the day to see if they wanted to come join you in Glasgow. Oh, so former players um, coming to join in Glasgow. Um, so the, the people who I was I was playing with um, were usually based in Les Mahago, which is a good distance from Glasgow. Um, I was just, I was from Coat Bridge. I'm actually probably closer to the Toll Cross field in Glasgow, but I went to South Lanarkshire because I wasn't aware that there was anything in Glasgow. I don't keep in touch with a lot of the people who I was playing with competitively, though I still do keep in touch with the people I was playing with more on a social basis. Always trying to get people involved. I brought a friend along to the tail end of the season last year and um, shared that about on Facebook uh, a few times and and things like that. Um, but I actually, as much as I love getting new people involved, um, you know, I often feel when you get someone new to the game and you... You're, you're trying to show them the ropes. You, you need to kind of throw slow. You need to not bat as hard. You need to you need to really take your, you know, not. I don't feel as if I get a good training session when, you know, I'm bringing along people that need to be shown a lot. So as much as I love saying, let's go and get involved, I like to go to training and I like to, to um, play with people that throw harder than me and bat harder than me because I like to learn off them, you know. So, um yeah, it's a, it's, I think definitely there's room for um, promoting it better, certainly round, round little towns that I'm from, like Airdrie and Coat Bridge and things like that, and just showing people that, you know, there is a there is a baseball diamond out in Toll Cross, just um, at a very central place, and there's an opportunity to learn the sport and, and develop in it. No, I say is that you're doing a good job of promoting the sport, even if, you know, uh, you're bringing people along, but I can totally understand where you're coming from. Like, like you're at training and you want to train and you want to get better. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the main thing. It's, it's great um, to learn the sport and the social element of it is great. But I think with most guys and most teams in here, we are all very competitive and, and want to play the sport for fun, but also kind of want to win <laughs> and develop and get better at what we're doing. 
um, everybody seems really passionate about the sport and, and getting better at it. So Danny, uh, let's move on then to this past season, the 2019 oh. season. You're te- officially your rookie season uh, in the Scottish National League as a Glasgow Comet. Uh, as we've covered before, it was a, a successful one for you on a personal level. It was another improving, another year of improvement for the Comets as a team as well. Um, I think the current lineup is beginning to really gel. Um, there are, I think, there have been some, there have been some alterations to the structure of the Comets uh, over the off season that I don't, I'm not entirely sure how much of that we can get into on the show before it's made uh, kind of public. But yeah. um, you know, it's it's been. A long time out of the game for you. Uh, take me back to the run-up to opening day 2019. How did you get back in touch uh, with baseball, and uh, how did it come? Uh, how did it come to be that you that you ended up uh, a comet? Um, well, the past few years, I, I think the past two years previous to last year, um, I turned up for the opening winter training. And that was I, I didn't go by that that opening winter training, um, and so I was there 2017 and 18. Um, in 2019, I was like, you know, I keep going back to this, and I keep really wanting to to do the sport again and and learn the sport again and learn from people. And um, so on the night um, of of the first training, I, I, I sort of saw it was on Facebook and where it was. And it's very close to the office where I work. Um, so I said to my to Jenna, my partner, I says, I'm going to go along and I'm going to stick it out this season and I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to learn the, the game again and, and give myself the opportunity to enjoy it, not just walk out after the first or second training, se- uh, training session after you feel like you haven't done that, that great. Um, so I went, I obviously came along to, to winter training and... I went to it with a very open mind of, you know, I haven't played in a long time. And there was a sort of fear there for me um, personally and that I could go back and I might not enjoy it and it completely ruins every memory that I have of of enjoying it through my my teenage years and things like that. Or I could go back and be totally rubbish and, you know, have my ego damaged by thinking I was actually somewhat of a good player when I was you know, 16, 17. Um, so I just went along with an open mind to learn from everyone in the room and learn about, you know, the, the game again, starting from the very basics. And what I will say is the guys in Glasgow were just so incredibly welcoming from both the Galaxy and the Comets. It was just anybody that was coming in, myself included, um, you know, just taking their time out to show you things and show you, you know, go through the fundamentals again and take an interest in whether you've played the game before and what you want to learn and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it really started to ramp up. Uh, obviously, I think we started in February with our winter training last year and it turned right. to spring very, very quickly. And um, it just so happened that the Comets... Um, had a sort of opening in centre field, I guess you could say. I know that John Nelson used to play centre field for the Comets as well as pitcher and things like that. So it was kind of um, suggested to me um, that there could be a spot at centre field. And because I'm I'm quite fast on my feet, I guess, that it might be a position that I was interested in. So I really just took to 
trying out that position and found out that I, I really, really enjoyed the outfield um, and especially centre field. And yeah, kicked off the, the season with the Comets. And what's really good about the Comets team is that there's lots of potential in it. There was guys like myself and um, Andy Vaughan and Gordon and things and Craig was there too. And these are all guys that are, you know, don't have a ton of experience as, as much as the likes of Gio and Louie and Albert and things like that. But we're all very keen to develop. And there's a real team spirit and a real willingness to learn the game and develop through that and take on the advice of, you know, the, the I, I suppose the two Glasgow clubs, both the, the Galaxy and the, the Comets. So it's just been a really great season. I've really enjoyed every single minute of it and especially learning a new position and things like that. It's been really challenging, but... Um, it's just again, it's it's helped me just develop a, a deeper love for the game. So Daniel, you learned a new position for this season, and uh, you wound up excelling in it. I don't think that even Geo um, <laughs> anticipated how well you were going to take to centre field when when he asked you to take that position up. Um, what would you attribute your success in centre field to this year? I think. I think um, just the, the nature of the outfield, I, I kind of I struggled in when we progressed to outfield training, um, outdoor training and tracking the fly balls and things like that. But when you have people like yourself and like Andy and like Gordon um, who are calling you on to go shorter or deeper, you know, it's that communication in the outfield. It just made the job really, really easy. You know, I, I can run, I'm comfortable running at a decent speed, but, you know, getting to the ball isn't the isn't always the hardest part. It's, it's, you know, judging the depth of it or judging whether you need to go back a few steps and just having, you know, an outfield that really communicates. I feel like we had one of the strongest outfields um, in the league this year, just by, by the looks of it. I don't feel we had a lot of... Um, drop balls. I feel like, if anything, we, <laughs> we had more collisions than drop, drop balls because we, <laughs> we both tracked it at the same time. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I, I feel like I just felt really comfortable in that position um, and took a lot of time to learn it from guys who had been doing it for a little while. And obviously, Gio has had a ton of experience in different positions on the field. So, um yeah, I guess I guess the moral of that, or the, what really helped me more than anything, was just the communication between the other the other team members in the outfield to to really help me. It just made me feel really comfortable out there. So that was uh, part one of our interview with Danny Quinn of the Glasgow Comets. Again, a great guy. Um, part two coming next week. Uh, can't wait for you guys to hear it. Now, um, moving on, and to close up for this episode, Jason. Um, we don't have a this day in baseball history. Uh, you've been taking a bit of a break um, from your other uh, activities to kind of focus on the launch of something um, that we'll keep under wraps until next week on the podcast. Uh, it's been announced and it's uh, open for business. It's your new jersey store, uh, Dugout Classics. Um, we'll talk about that in depth next time. Um, but we do have one from just a couple of days ago that I think we that bears mentioning. Uh, the 100th anniversary back on Thursday of the establishment of the Negro Leagues. Um, now, as an American um, and as a lifelong baseball fan, what does the Negro Leagues? What do the Negro Leagues mean to you? 
obviously as a baseball historian as well of, of a sort. You know, it, it, was, it was segregation times and it's a real shame because you, you hear the stories of Satchel Paige and uh, Josh Gibson and and some of the stories these guys were, were told of how uh, amazing they were and just couldn't get into the uh, the major leagues is a shame. Um, but, you know, it's, it's great that it's been documented and, and it still lives on. Uh, I know there was a huge exhibition in Kansas City at the Negro League uh, Museum. I, I saw a couple of artists I follow on Instagram were there. Um, you know, the, the president of the Negro League is on Twitter and he had posted some stuff there. So um, uh, if you're ever in Kansas City, like you, you should check it out. Like I, I've only heard amazing things about it. Um, you know, it, it's supposed to blow your mind on, on some of the stuff that they have. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, 100 years ago uh, on the Thursday, uh, the Negro Leagues were created. So, so yeah, that's, you know, that's crazy. I think 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a long time ago. Um, but when you look at it in terms of what the Negro Leagues actually represent, it's kind of, it leaves a bit of a sour taste, doesn't it? It's only been 100 years ago that black men, uh, were, were not permitted to play baseball in the major leagues alongside whites, uh, especially I think we've been kind of lucky in our lifetime that we've seen some incredible black athletes a uh, Ricky Henderson um, a Barry Bonds, regardless of what you think of uh, his uh, extracurricular activities no, but It was interesting because as my, you know, I do a lot of my research every day to find something out um, and it was uh, something came up that in, in Gosh, I want to say it was Georgia, and uh, they had passed a bill, even though uh, the major leagues had been segregated for ten years, that um, black men were not allowed to play with against white men or play with white men uh, unless it was a religious ceremony. And this was ten years after um, the major leagues had been, uh, you know, uh, opened up to. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's that's, that's crazy. I think that uh, you know that it was no longer segregated, and they were passing bills in in. Uh, you know, in in uh, Alabama or like that. I'll have to figure it out. But yeah, that um, they weren't allowed to play. That is a great example, I think, of the purifying force that baseball can be, and has been at times in American history. Um, sometimes it takes baseball to make a move for the country to then warm to it, and I think that's uh, another another fine example of why baseball is America's pastime and why it is so important to the country. When you when you look when you look at our time and and the people and the players that we've seen play in our lifetimes, it's it almost doesn't bear even imagining uh, what Major League Baseball would be like if that were still the case. If we had never gotten a chance to grow up watching um, these athletes, just because of because of absolute nonsense as well. Absolutely, I mean you have to look at um, the first Japanese guy to break in was uh i'm gonna totally blunder his name and it's a uh, uh, marhashu magani or something like that. It's a, but he pitched for the giants in 1965 and uh you know it took till 1995 for hideo nomo to be the second japanese player to play uh, in the major leagues and that's not due to segregation but that's just uh you know it, it takes um you know that much talent to actually make it in the pros absolutely yeah i mean i think hideo nomo opened a lot of Japanese eyes to Major League Baseball and vice versa. Um, that obviously opened the door for guys like, uh, uh, was it Sasaki who pitched for Mariners? 
Yep, the, the Mariners were, were did that. Max Sasaki and uh, Koji Jujima, and of course Ichiro, and then of course on your side you've got Matsui. You've got Matsui certainly. Yep, and obviously Shohei Otani, Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, they are becoming more and more. Um, there are more and more Japanese players uh, who are kind of breaking into the big leagues, and they have some of them are, are certainly in the case of Ichiro, some, some of the best players in Major League history. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's insane that Ichiro has gotten 3,000 hits in the major leagues, despite the fact starting out he was 27. <laughs> this is right, yeah. And uh, to go back to the the Negro League point, you know, obviously the you know the, the home run king for a very long time was a black man, High Karen. Um, he was surpassed by another black man, Barry Bonds. It's just, it's frightening to think that 100 years ago that wouldn't have happened. No, no. Uh, I hate to say different times, yeah. you know, but I'm glad to see it's we're seeing the best of the best on the field, uh, regardless of color and race. This is it. Um, let's move on from that uh, <laughs> from that kind of gloomy subject, and we'll close up for the day. Where can people find you on social media, and what's the Dugout Classics website again? So you can find me on all three social media channels at Bubba on Baseball. Um, and then if you're looking to get some vintage jerseys or some modern day players, I have a few of those. Um, it's dugoutclassics.com or you can follow again on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook and, and it's dugoutclassics. And you can catch me on Twitter at John Caps Pipes, at John C-A-P-S-P-I-P-E-S. Obviously you can catch the podcast on Facebook or Twitter at Ball, it's at ball Caps and Bagpipes. Uh, just search that on uh, Twitter or, uh, or Facebook and certainly you can hear the show wherever you get your podcast from. Just search uh, Ball Caps and Bagpipes once again. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, we are. We're, we're slowly everywhere. <laughs> um, big shout out to the Two Strike Noise guys again. Um, also the British Baseball Podcast. Uh, we've uh, heard uh, great feedback from Scottish Blue Jays fans on Twitter as well. So I want to give a quick shout out to them. And uh, one last shout out to my friend Alistair Brown. Uh, thanks to Mr. Brown. And I'm sure you'll be thrilled to hear this, Jason. I am officially a Seahawks fan. Yay! All right. Now we just have to get you a jersey. So. <laughs> yeah, we play Madden. We dick around on Madden time to time. And he's a diehard Seahawks fan. And I guess it's, it's just kind of rubbed off. So, yes. Yeah, so- is he, uh, are you going to go with Russell Wilson then for as your as your favorite player then since he uh, he has a contract with? I think by default I have to go with Russell Wilson. Uh, DK Metcalf seems like a unit as well, so uh, <laughs> he's he's uh, he's certainly one to watch. Yeah, that, that Seahawks are fun. Like I said, like I'm hoping they have a, a better season than last year, um, but you never you, know, you never know. Like the, the contracts play. Uh, and how do you have a Yeah, hopefully we'll be watching. Uh, hopefully we'll be in a bar uh, round about this time next year, watching the Seahawks in the Super Bowl together. Well, it, it's, you know, if the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, there's a good chance I could be at the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, let's close it there. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? No, that's that's it for this week. Cool, man. Thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week with part two of Danny's interview. Um, sorry for how haphazard this has been. We effectively we we recorded the show um, all in one when we recorded the interview and then ended up having to split it into two parts. So we're kind of throwing this together last minute uh, to get it out. So part one, this one. Part two, out next week. Uh, until then, be good and uh, have a great week. Next week.